Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today's guest host is photographer Megan Bent. Megan Bent is a lens-based artist interested in the malleability of photography and the ways image making can happen beyond using a traditional camera. This interest started to occur after the diagnosis of a progressive chronic illness. She is drawn to image making processes that reflect and embrace her disabled experience, especially interdependence, impermanence, care, and slowness. Megan's artwork has been exhibited domestically at many locations and internationally as well. She has been an artist in residence at Art Beyond Sites 2021-2022 Art and Disability Residency at the Noble School in Dedham, Massachusetts and the Honolulu Museum of Art in Hawaii. She has presented her work at the Common Field 2021 Convening, Atlas Obscura, The Secret Arts, the Pacific Rim International Conference on Disability and Diversity in Honolulu, Hawaii, at Other Bodies, Self-Representation, Disability, and the Media at the University of Westminster in London, UK, and at Critical Junctures at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Her work has been featured in Lens Scratch, Analog Forever Magazine, Fraction Magazine, Too Tired Product, Art Photo Folio, and Float Photography Magazine. Hi, my name is Megan Bent, and I'm very excited and honored to be the guest host of Able Voices Podcast. And I'm very excited to be here today with artist Moira Williams. I'm going to do a brief introduction to Moira. Moira Deidam is a disabled indigenous artist, cross-disability cultural activist, and access doula, co-creating and weaving disability justice together with CRIP celebratory resistance and environmental justice. Moira believes in access as art and access intimacy as an attitude needed to push beyond the limitations of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Their often co-creative work leads with disability, stemming from the understanding that deep-rooted cultural changes must be made in the arts and environmental spaces and practices to become accessible. One part of affecting change is by placing disabled artists and activists in positions of influence to shape culture from within. Another part is acknowledging that entering positions of power is not the end goal. Instead, the end goal is to co-create an active culture where power positions no longer exist. They are currently an access doula and cross-disability culture activist at Culture Push NYC. Moira's ongoing work on water focuses on access intimacy and water intimacy as ways forward to accessible waterfronts. Moira recently received a Santa Fe Arts Institute Revolution, Blue Mountain Center Harriet Barlow Residency, Disability and Dance NYC Social Justice Fellowship, a U.S. Artist Disability Futures Fund, and Laundromat Project Abundance Grant. Their co-creative work has been at Tangled Art and Disability Canada, Q Art Foundation, Common Field, iPark Biennial, Landscape Research UK, Aros Museum Denmark, Works on Water Triennial, and MoMA PS1 to name a few. 
Moira co-curated Talkback at Flux Factory with Lexi Hotai, the first NYC exhibition and three-day convening centering intersectional, intergenerational, cross-disability artists and activists that was cited in the New York Times. Welcome, Moira. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Megan. (laughs) That was great. I'd like to start off by asking you to tell us your story as an artist. How did you start as an artist and how did you get to where you are today? Hi, hi, everyone. It's Moira speaking. I guess my story as an artist is that I've always been an artist, right? I went back to school as an older person, uh, for several reasons. One, I didn't necessarily believe that I needed to ever go to school to be an artist <laughs> in that way, which I know sometimes sounds snooty or you know whatever, but I felt validated as a person and as an artist, you know, not necessarily always as a disabled person. Um, and so I went back as, as um, an older person and I did that primarily because I wanted to teach in, at university and work with ideas of disability, you know, like get in there, get into a university and just like break away at some of those little corners and institutional concrete and stuff and just, you know, share ideas and grow ideas about disability in the arts. But that said, it took me, I have, so I have a constellation of disabilities that I was born with and acquired. And one of the disabilities I acquired as a teenager was, um, is, (laughs) because it never goes away, a traumatic brain injury. And that really stopped me from going to school, you know, because I've always been a didactic learner. I learn by, through haptic stuff you know, and emotion and experience mostly is how my best ways of learning. Also very attuned to sound and visualness as well. But having a a traumatic brain injury that really disrupted all sorts of parts of my brain, I had, I couldn't, couldn't put things together in the linear way that institutions typically are a, you know, demand and also just a brain injury, any kind of brain injury also comes with, um, you need to rest. It's mm-hmm. you're like tired all the time. So I couldn't fit into those linear schedules and things like that. So it took me almost 20 years to, uh, to get my MFA with like two or three classes at a time. So I did that. And, you know, had a life and was making art and whatnot and learning, you know, more about myself. And it kind of suited me because traditionally I was not brought up. I was brought up with uh, a cosmology that is much more circular. Um, so, so I think, you know, for me, that was fine most of the time. But honestly, it did frustrate me sometimes because, again, going back to my identity as a disabled person, that was not something that people often respected or understood mm-hmm. or even wanted to. Although I have to say my mentors in 
at school were, were like into it on it and really helpful. It was just really with the, with my cohort that didn't get that. So that wasn't, it was a little difficult because there were like, like, I don't think that we were communicating so well in that way, you know, like during a, uh, what I often and how I would always shift the critiques in the art world, um, practice as critiques, I would shift them to conversations and that seemed to work better doing that, you know, so people could understand like where I was coming from. Cause I mean, all the time that you're making any kind of art, you know, whether it's from music to visual to performance to, you know, any kind of art making or sensual experience, part of who you are, it's part of your biography. Like it's really hard to get away from that. So understanding other people, but they not being able to understand me fully was a little frustrating, but nothing that prevented me from, from continuing on. I don't know. Is that, is that helpful? Absolutely. And, um, you know, for listeners here, um, Moira and I were friends and, um, know each other quite well. And that I learned something new. I didn't know that about your MFA journey until today. So thank you for sharing that with me and for with our audience. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that when when you're going to school, that those are like, I think particularly in the arts and the humanities, people tend to learn about themselves more deeply if they're mm-hmm. open to that. And, you know, I can't speak, I can't disregard like mathematics or hard sciences or anything either because I don't do any of those things. But (laughs) from my experience, you know, it's (laughs) you you learn about yourself and more about the world, of course. That kind of leads right into um, my next question, which is, I'd like for you to tell us about your experience as a person with a disability and as an artist with a disability. Thanks. Thanks for asking that question. I think it kind of goes back to like lack, not not lack of, but maybe it's been a little difficult for me because I do environmentally based things um, and movement. And, you know, like, like what people call bio art, I work with living beings, and it's connected to my identity culturally as a Lenape and also Sami person, which can be difficult because people ask questions that I don't know how to answer because they're really private. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like spiritually cultural questions and people don't often understand that you know because I don't like I don't feel that any of us needs to share things unless we really want to right yeah and and I think that is a big overlap with disability for me Mm -hmm. too and I think a lot of people a lot of BIPOC disabled people experience that and it's just been like, how do I not necessarily circumvent that, but how do I answer things where people get it and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, get it as like, I don't really want to push people away. But, you know, sometimes those questions are really inappropriate. 
um, are paired up with really inappropriate ideas, which again, I think many of us have experienced, you know, about identity, me being indigenous, and that some of the things, the things that I connect to deeply are because, only because I'm indigenous or only because, or because, you know, like spiritualism equals magic to some people. And that's not really what that is. It's spiritualism. It's, you know, like rituals and things are cultural spiritual. And then going, you know, into disability, disability is a, is also a very personal thing. And there's, there have often been ableist questions and ableist understandings, you know, that prevent me from being able to, to do things. But not always. I've also, the other thing is that with a lot of my work, I like being outdoors and I like to co-create and I love to do that with movement and things like that. So I don't, I don't really feel as a whole that any of it's ever like brought me down. It's just made me stop and go, huh, how do I, how do I work with this, you know, in a way that's good for me? And it's made me realize, which I didn't initially realize, that I'm just not a studio artist. I'm an, I am an organizer and I do stuff. I don't need a studio. I mean, sometimes I would like one, but I don't necessarily need a studio. You know, so it makes, opens up a whole other thing for me because there's so many ways of being an artist um, in the world and so many ways, so many possible ways of being an artist in the world. And so all of those things have kind of led me, guided me to that way of thinking. Yeah. And I know being familiar with your work, like you, a lot of your work is connected to not just like bio or ecological art, the land, but also to relationships and building community. And it's just a really, really, I've always experienced as a very like deep practice filled with care, you know, a foundation of care. Oh, thank you so much. I just got all tingly. <laughs> that, was, that was really great. Thank you. Thank You're you. Because that, that is like, it's for me, my work is about communicating, making those connections with all beings, not centering just human beings, you know, and I think that's helped me think about, um, I think a couple things have helped me think about mixed disabilities or cross disability mm-hmm. working because of that desire to communicate and I love gatherings and I love love to host things you know I'm like mm-hmm. oh you know so that aspect of it and also the I also my family is everyone's disabled and we all have different disabilities so of course I think that has a lot to do with it too and probably the ideas of communicating and caring mm-hmm. for other people probably comes from my very, very disabled family kind of adjustments and everyday negotiations <laughs> that go beyond just sibling negotiations. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand, you know, like, how do we, <laughs> how do we understand one another? And even though, you know, even though 
we're so close as family members, you know, which isn't true for every family, you know. It's also yeah. for my my chosen family members too. Yeah. Often tend to have different disabilities. But but I think that is something that that is part of my who I am, my biography, right? Of being a human. Absolutely. And you are you're a very active artist. I know that you at least since we've become friends, you typically have, you know, a few different projects going at once. And I was just wondering if you could share with us about some of your current work today. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've been trying. I, I always and I always say this, <laughs> maybe I should just focus on one thing. But <laughs> I see that these things all roll into one another. And I also, again, love to work with people, so it's hard for me to say no. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I'm working on currently are is this group of guiding ways called Invoking Aqueous Ancestor Eco Monsters. And guiding, I mean, by guiding us to more deeply understand what access intimacy is, which is a, a phrase coined by Mia Mingus, who is a, a disability scholar and a disability justice activist. And that that's a beautiful phrase, and I, I do understand that, but it's not something that is readily understood by everybody, mm-hmm. right? So, so thinking of what what does that mean? Like, what is access intimacy? Like, what does it mean about collective access making? Does it mean, is it something about your access needs, my access needs, and, you know, how we understand each other's access needs and how we can help each other out and negotiate and coexist together? You know, what does it mean? I think it means all of those things. And people usually talk about access intimacy is that that thing that you know that everyone else knows and you all get it right and that's still kind of a complicated like description of that right Mm -hmm. so in a way to kind of break that down a little bit to meet people's needs and to further think about it and also in relation to and interconnect and interrelate to the environment I'm working on that project um, invoking aqueous eco monster ancestors is about working with water intimacy and and one of my dearest loves are the wetlands and um, I see very very vivid <laughs> entanglements and relations between disability disabled bodies and communities and wetlands mm. and to have that kind of conversation about wetlands and the disabled body and our intimacies and how that can be shared as a way for just deepening ecological awareness and accessibility awareness, but also to go outside of our bodies and understand that oftentimes the things that our bodies are having happening happen to us through environmental um, disabilities are the same things that are going on for all the other beings in the world um and also like some of the it also connects back to um 
you know, the idea that the wetlands was always a refuse. Uh, a lot of slaves escaped and lived in the wetlands and indigenous people when they were, you know, moved off their lands, sought refuge in the wetlands. So it's also a place of refuge and dreamings and coming together of different peoples, you know, so and learning more about each other and more about the land, you know, depending on, you know, like sharing that, sharing these knowledges, essentially. So that's kind of, that's what that work is primarily about. And the way that I go about it is through doing online movement. And I've gone to, been invited a couple places to do it in person which is always interesting to move from in-person, mm. from online. So how do I do that? both of those so people get it and they have fun and you know, <laughs> they enjoy themselves and go outside of their bodies. And it's, it's always disability-centered. And, then, and that's a whole work that also has to do with a boat that I am dreaming up with other folks oh, yeah. called Crip Fleets. That's part of this whole work. It's an accessible boat shaped with the shape of an amoeba. And I'm hoping to get that. We're playing with designs and what, what we want with that. And I'm doing that at Berkeley University with Karen Nakamura at the Mad Rad Lab and uh, a bunch of the students there. And that that is weaving together joy because I also believe that for, I believe being with the environment and with people that's like a key word with mm -hmm. but to be with one another with the water with the environment and to have joy and not it's not necessarily centering you know focusing heavily on water loss and water pollution but the thing that a lot of disabled people don't have <laughs> access to is the pleasure and joy that able-bodied people often experience just sitting on the beach <laughs> yeah because there really is no reason to go to the lake to the beach to any of these water sites the wetlands than to just like enjoy yourself you know like I don't know that many botanists that are going to the beach, you know, or <laughs> oceanologists <laughs> or limnologists. I know they do, but primarily it's just to go and hang out and feel the sun and the sand and the air, right? So it's about that too. It's like, oh, you know, let's, we deserve joy in the water, mm -hmm. with the water. So it's also about that. So I'm working on that. About creating more, more accessibility for enjoying the waterways, mm -hmm. yeah, having access, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that, and then I'm also finishing up um, an essay with An uh, Amy Hammerai, who mm. who is from Critical Design Lab, and we're working on an essay about remote access and the re remote access parties. So, Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's because I'm part of the remote, remote access collective. And we have online parties. <laughs> Do you want to share a bit more about that? I, I'll say just really quickly that attending those parties during the pandemic, that was like life-changing and nourishing. So I think each and every one of you who is doing that remote access work. 
Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot. It really sincerely means a lot because it's, it is a lot of work. Um, and I've done several other parties too that, that were hybrid on an accessible barge. And that was a lot of work. (laughs) That was something I just was writing about in this essay. And so the remote access, um, collective is, um, it's kind of housed with Amy Hammerai's creative lab design site at Vanderbilt University, but it's not, it has nothing to do with being institutionalized. It's, um, and it's been so many different people. There are a few of us mm-hmm. who were there from the beginning. It's the one of the things that's really exciting about it is that uh, people come and go it's very fluctuating I mean it's sad sometimes when people go but they have other things to do you know and it is a lot of work but we welcome people into the collective to come and try it out whenever they like and you know help build collective access and what we do is we host parties online and sometimes it it can range from just being uh Kevin aka Kevin Gawkin, aka DJ Who Girl or Danello. Oh, and I'm so sorry, Danello. I can't remember your last name. Is it Machado? Machado, yes. I love Danello's name too, Danello Machado. Um, but I also love DJ Queer Shoulders. So I'm always like, yeah. DJ Queer Shoulders. Um, DJs and regularly is, is part of the collective. You know, so sometimes either they will both DJ or just one one of them will DJ and it's just playing out dance party and we do things like a bunch of us get dressed up and I do this whole go-go stim dancing which I love which is essentially just me dancing around with shiny things and my fringe gloves (laughs) Um, and being spotlit and you know inviting people to dance I access doula and people take turns taking uh doing access dueling which can be from For me, I've done audio description, image description, just helping people out, adding stuff in the chat, links, or, you know, anything that they may need, or helping people one-on-one with whatever their access needs may be, Um, whether it's finding a button on the Zoom screen, because we do this through Zoom, and Zoom is always changing. And so those kind of just fun, outright dance parties to things where it's more of a cabaret kind of situation where we feature a couple artists or a couple videos and dance in between or even do things like openings or celebrations for like with Daniello invited us to celebrate art papers um Mm. uh, an essay that that they had written for art papers and we had an outright dance party there for the College and Arts Conference, the College and Arts Conference, for the Feminist Arts Project folks. We did a closing party, and we showed several videos, which were really great. And then we also did, and we also had a dance party, but we also had breakout rooms, and we broke out and had a room that was just for chill, chilling out and stim, dreaming, and um, one that was just silence, like you could go in there and just be quiet. And then also one 
where we were showing um, disabled Ukrainian artists' works, and they had like a small panel in there. And then, of course, a big dance room where we had the videos that we were showing there. So it's just this really, it's really about collective access making and doing crip techno hacking. It's like where I, like I developed a bunch of, well, not a bunch, four cards for participating that are very neurodivergent focused. It's a way of communicating how you feel about interaction and what kind of desire you want to like have with other participants by making a participation card that is also a virtual background that anyone can upload. Megan has uploaded those before. And yeah, so, I have a few. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've seen them elsewhere in other places, which is really fun. And I hear about people adopting them in, in real life, which is really cool because you can also <clears throat> download them. Like they're, there's a link to a folder where you can download them and you can download them as printable participation cards or as virtual background cards or as both. And you can switch yeah. throughout. And the idea is that you can switch throughout. And there's a red one that says, uh, really not feeling it right now. So like, don't talk to me is what it's signaling in color and also in text. And then there's a yellow one that's like, Oh, only if I know you. So it's about like, yeah, I'll speak with you if I know you. Again, signaling in yellow and with text. And then a green one was like, yeah, bring it on. I'll chat with anyone, <laughs> which is a vi vibrant green. Um, and, you know, signals in green go, yeah, I'll speak to anyone and has the text. And then there's a blank one that's kind of this leopardy, bright, fun, almost 80s esque kind of leopard print that um that's there optional that you could put anything you want on it you know like how you how are you feeling you know you could change the colors too if you wanted to it's fine it's up for grabs and i've seen several people do that which is cool and then there's the access doula card which is specifically mm -hmm. um meant for access doulas and again i've seen that at other access doula like events where access doulas are and it's specifically set to be very visual for people who are visual and also um, is about being accessible for people who have people who have different color blindnesses going on too. Um, yeah. And it's black and white and wavy and all of the cards have some kind of textural kind of thing. And yeah. And that's one of the things I've done with remote access besides just being there to dance now <laughs> dance 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 no it's so fun yeah um do you have capacity for one more final question yeah yeah all right so my last question today is just um if you have any advice that you would give to young disabled artists young artists with disabilities yeah, I do actually. I think that 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 it's important to build your own family, build your own community and um and to reach out to people like through email or Instagram, you know, 
use the remote stuff like we're so we're experts at. I mean, we've been doing it before the pandemic from, you know, analog phone calls and beepers, which I like beepers. What? That <laughs> that in itself is a disability name, a beeper. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, who even remembers those besides me, right? <laughs> But, but, you know, I remember, I'm just like, whoa. So, you know, like, this is something that we've always done. And, you know, people have their emails on, you know, around and you could, I mean, I'm happy if people email me, I'm not really on Instagram that often, because it's just sucks me in so much, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. Facebook does. And it becomes like a whole like, day event that I, I have to not do it. I may go back to doing it just once a week, but then I feel terrible because I'm, I'm using it for my own, like my own self, my self, you know, and I can't, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to balance that out is my problem with Instagram. I'm trying to figure that out, but yeah, contact people, contact people, especially, you know, if you're doing like social practice artists, art work and disability stuff, contact me or contact other people you know that you see or interested in Uh, a lot of the people who I never thought of doing this really which was weird because it's something I do regularly but several people I know who are doing really well and well I mean by being happy with the work that they're doing at the pace they want to go that's what they did. They contacted other disabled people and got mm-hmm. in a conversation and asked them questions and things like that. I mean, that's what how I was always brought up to believe elders are so important. And that's one of the very important things is they carry knowledge that usually happy to share with. But yeah, that's a that's advice. And if going to, to college, I mean, it is still pretty difficult to figure out what colleges and programs are going to work for for people with disabilities because of the federal law is so flimsy flamsy you know about that about like disability help that's you know by law people have to offer in universities and colleges it's really ultimately just up to the best of their ability which oftentimes you know, from my own experience is a useless way of saying, you know, that this is a law and this is like how we do it. And, that you know, it's to the best of our abilities. It's just an easy way out to say, oh, we can't do that, you know, and just never bother trying to do it. So it's really hard to find universities that go beyond that. And that's, that I think, is important to find out from people because that that changes from every it's cycles like some of the universities are great some of them aren't some of the departments are good some of them aren't so you know that's something also to ask people you know like it's not just because a university has university at college has a disabilities office doesn't mean that they're going to always be supportive of your your disability you know so ask those questions you know don't be afraid to ask those questions and also you know like the art world is is really not only what the colleges tell you to like you can make it your own 
as you make your life your own, make your art and the way you want to do art or music or any kind of your creative practice organizing the way that you need to do and works best for you. Thank you, Moira. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me here today. <laughs> it's great to connect with you and get to chat with you and share your work on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be part of this and, and be able to chat with you today, too. <laughs> Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, Find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-A-E or email us at B-I-A-A-E at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.